Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. In this episode, Mike and I have a conversation with an interesting friend of ours from Ottawa, Daniel Donnelly. Danny's a super interesting human, and we really enjoyed having a chat with him. He tells us about his personal discovery of going barefoot and his experience of spending the better part of two years barefoot in Ottawa. We talk about some of the solo hikes that he's gone on, which are fairly intense, uh, and how he kind of finds it a way to reconnect with nature on those hikes and disconnect from technology. And we delve a bit into philosophy, which is a topic Danny's very well versed and just overall a treat to kind of listen to. This episode of The Audio Project is sponsored by TFC Seminars. The seminar is our six-hour education experience designed to help people understand why their feet are important, why so many people in 2018 are having problems with their feet, how to restore optimal foot function, how to restore ankle and hip mobility, which is something a lot of people struggle with um, restrictions on, preventing running injuries, how to use walking as an ankle and hip mobility exercise, what to look for in footwear, and we cover lots more. We do our best to include lots of playful movement drills and to be moving for the majority of the seminar so you can not only learn but feel what we're trying to teach. Check out thefootcollective.com or tfc-shop.com to get more info on our 2019 seminar dates or to register for a session. They're open to anyone, including health professionals, personal trainers, physicians, or just people having issues with their body that aren't being given the right information on restoring optimal function, eliminating pain, and preventing future injury. This episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nook Protective Hard Cases. We use their gear to transport our equipment to and from seminars and workshops. They make super high-quality cases. They make them all in Canada, um, and they can keep your electronics safe during travel so you can not worry about your stuff getting damaged during travel. Check out their cases at nanuk.com, N-A-N-U-K.com, for more details on that. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this chat with Danny. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Okay, three... Two, one. Hey folks, Nick and Mike here with a special guest today on the audio project, uh, Danny Donnelly. What's up, Danny? Not much. How about yourself? Not too much, man. Thanks for coming out. We appreciate you taking the time on a Sunday. Uh, I know everyone's got stuff to do, so... Thanks for having me. Danny's a very interesting uh, human being. He's got a lot of different experiences that are not necessarily the way we think about surviving as a human today. They're not abnormal, but for the average person, they're extremely abnormal. And so, um, very, uh, you know... Deeply rooted in philosophy, I think he's probably one of the happier humans, um, and he does things a little bit differently. So, I guess introduce yourself, Danny, uh, first last name, and, and just a couple sentences about yourself. So, yeah, I'm Daniel Donnelly. I was born and raised in Ottawa. I have a formal background in philosophy. Cool. I took a degree in Carleton, and then beyond that, I just have a career in uh, project management slash project coordination. Cool man. And other than that, I'm just trying to you know enjoy experiences and yeah broaden the mind pretty much cool well when you tell me about your experiences it makes me realize that maybe i'm not doing enough to experience the full threshold of what humans can experience because there's uh you definitely have some interesting stuff that we'll kind of dive into today and maybe even like the first place will be mike told me this that you spent several years barefoot so let's talk about that how it came about how what what does actually meant because i don't even know the in-depth story so maybe give us a because obviously you know TFC Audio Project, we talk about feet. I think it'll probably be a smaller part of this podcast. Well, let's start there because that sounds like a really interesting experience. And I just want to know, where did it come from? What made you want to do that? And what was the experience like? What did you learn from it? So it initially started off with um, a medical need. I had 
a nasty wart on my foot. My, okay. my toe was plastered with warts. And then I was reading online, obviously, starve it of oxygen, starve it of moisture. It's the moisture that causes the warts. Okay, so, so you researched it and you're just like, I need to do this to get rid of this problem. Yeah, exactly. So I cool. figured the best thing to do is to not wear shoes because obviously your feet won't get wet and yep. it will stay wet if you don't wear shoes. So that's initially how it started. And I started going to the gym and, you know, not wearing shoes while I'm exercising. I wear my squat shoes and I switched out. I'll just keep my socks on and just go around and, and work out in my socks. Cool. And then from that, um, in the summers, I would obviously start going to the parks and throwing footballs with my friends and all that stuff. And then I'd take my shoes off while doing so. And I realized how pleasant it was to actually run around with your bare feet and not have to worry, you know, about rolling an ankle or you, you, it just feels more secure. And then from there, I kind of took it to the extreme where I'd start going publicly barefoot as well. I'd go to school in my, in my bare feet. Nice. I'd go on the O train and all that stuff within reason, obviously some... Some yep. restaurants or whatever won't let you go in barefoot. It's, well, that's it's, a very, it's considered awkward, which is very strange to me. But yeah, it is, and that's a very interesting experience. The way you worded it, it's like I felt more stable. I felt um, I was I felt I was less likely to roll an ankle. And these are things that are counterintuitive for a lot of people. They're like, I, "Yo, man, I need my high tops to play basketball, or else I'm gonna roll my ankle." It's like, yeah. dude, you're literally detracting away from the sensory input that your foot is designed to take in that stops you from rolling an ankle. So yeah. it's so counterintuitive, but that's a very interesting perspective. And I like how you did it just for, because it, because it felt better and it just felt, yeah. it felt like the right thing to do. And I think that, like you say, it turned into its own, its own thing over time. Yeah. There was not necessarily like any, like, Oh, I want to, you know, uh, better my foot. There was nothing like that initially. Uh, when I first started, you know, yeah. when I go camping, for instance, I would be at a campsite rather than switching my boots in and out. I would just go barefoot, walk around on the rocks and do all mm-hmm. my chores, my camping chores, like collect firewood, collect water, all that stuff. I'd start doing that barefoot and you'd realize that out in the forest, it's such a dynamic environment that I actually feel better on bare feet because when I'm walking on rocks, I can use my toes or when I'm leaning into a, a lake, I can see my toes just start squeezing the rocks and then, mm-hmm. you know, running in a field, for instance, I feel like my toes are like cleats and rather than wearing like a soccer cleat, yep. you can have your toes sink into the ground when you, when you pivot and that for sure. gives you a lot of stability and it gives you, made me feel more confident in my ability to run and pivot and, and move. And you're more aware too. Like you can't, you can't just blast through the woods and not give a shit where you're stepping or how you're stepping. Like it makes you be more aware of your environment because you might step on something sharp or something shitty for your foot. And so... Yeah, it really is a more visceral experience going without shoes in the natural environment. It's almost like a gateway to like mindfulness because you Absolutely. have to be way more mindful. You can't just you realize that walking is like a, kind of like a skill. When you walk into the woods mm-hmm. and you have boots on, you just trample through all the twigs and all the sticks. But when you're walking with bare feet, you have to realize, oh, I, I could puncture my foot, or you know, I could slip, or like there's there's certain there's certain things that you, you become more mindful of. And when when you're walking, you, you have to spend more time focusing on where your steps are going rather than just trampling through to get to your destination. One thing I want to talk about is like you mentioned it, that it was kind of weird um, at certain times, like you couldn't go into certain you know restaurants and mm-hmm. obviously that's the case, but what was your experience in general just being more in public with, with people's perceptions of you or did you get uh, anybody asking you things over your time spent barefoot or, uh, or things not, like people that? People just give you mainly weird looks. Like, yeah, uh, yeah and, that's and, what I get too. I, I would start wearing like the, the, the toe, the finger, sorry. the uh, Five fingers? The five finger yep. shoes. And I liked those. Um, then I was like, you know what? I want to f- experience the environment, like the, the sensation of the environment. So when I started wearing bare feet to school, for instance, at two years university, I went to, to and from school on the O train <laughs> That's awesome. in bare feet. Yeah. And Do you only- go in winter too? Winter is borderline. I'll go out in bare feet with winter, but like it's it's kind of a protection thing. Eventually, yeah. your feet get numb, and like you need 100%. to heat them, right? You need to protect yeah. them in the environment. And snow is sometimes sharp, like that, like cr- crusty snow. I've tried to go barefoot a few times, and you're right. And I think the biggest thing there is like 
when your foot goes numb, you don't know when you're doing shitty stuff to your feet. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, I think as like a just a temperature barrier, and we talked about that with the history of footwear. Like people used to wear them for two reasons. Stop your foot from getting cut and stop your foot from being exposed to temperature extremes, exactly, whether that's yeah. hot or cold. Because that, that is a value mm-hmm. as a foot protection Absolutely. piece of clothing. Right? Yeah. yeah. We just take it so extreme now. It's like now no one spends time barefoot, even in their house. The amount of people that wear shoes in their house is staggering. And yeah. so all these positive things that you discovered through just like you started with a purpose, you started going barefoot, realized it felt better. You spent more time barefoot. No one explores that now and they yeah. don't even know it's worth exploring. So that's well, kind just, of what it's we're just about. odd. Cause now when you, when you go barefoot, people are like, it's like, it's like almost going naked. It's like, what, what's this guy doing without shoes on? It's <laughs> I agree. like, it's almost, they look at you as a, as a crazy person. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, you're, it's, I used to funny. wear a poncho too. I'm barefoot with a poncho on. That's how I used to go to school. <laughs> that's awesome. That's when I came back from my trip from South America. So it was a bit more, more, more radical, but yeah, uh, yeah, you just start noticing even just simply walking to the bus station rather than walking on the sidewalk, I'd walk on the median. So I'd mm-hmm. feel the softness of the grass. Mm-hmm. You also start noticing things like spring and fall, the difference in the ground in the spring and the fall. So in the spring, you know, the natives say, you know, tread carefully in spring because Mother Mother Earth is, is pregnant. And you realize that when you're walking in the spring, it's saturated with water. It's mm-hmm. all ready to bloom. And then in the summer, it dries up and you, you hear more of a thud when you walk because the ground is more dry in the summer. Wow, that's drought. so cool. And then in the fall, it gets wet again, but it gets colder. So... You start noticing things like that as well, where like you can tell the drought, grass is prickly in mm-hmm. the middle of summer, but in the spring, grass is very soft. In the fall, you have the leaves, and that's very soft as well when you walk on. It's very comfortable to walk in the fall because wow. you have all the leaf coverage on the ground, which prevents you know the sticks from, from poking you and stuff like that. And just so. think about how much info... I didn't even like really think of that, but think of how much information someone that lives, for example, in Peruvian Amazon or something like that, mm-hmm. how much information they're getting about their environment, about the season, about um, it, the rainfall in the past X amount of time from their feet. Exactly. Those are sensors to like check, okay, the ground is like this or, or this seed is in bloom or this is, that's so cool how it's like almost like a rudder to, to be more in touch with the environment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think it's a good analogy that we're just detached from our environment now. Right? Absolutely. Like, like that, that one inch sole you put on your foot really disconnects you from, you know. Makes a huge you, difference. You realize that the, the human environment we live in, the cities, is, is really rough and it's concrete, asphalt. It's not really meant for human beings. It's meant for our machines and mm-hmm. for our cars and bicycles. It's not meant for us to walk around, really. It's meant You're right. for other things like industry and stuff like that. And so. even like people come into the, um, the footwear shop that we have in Ottawa, we have this river rock tile. Mm-hmm. We put it in there purposely to be... So that when people put on these quote-unquote barefoot shoes, or we call them human shoes, um, they can experience texture. And it's tactile, like they yeah. can actually experience tactile texture through a piece of footwear that's just a thin layer on their foot to protect their foot. And that's it. Yeah. And I think it's so – something that really shouldn't be that big of a deal is in people – People light up and they're like, it's like you just introduced them to some magical wizard tool. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, those are just rocks and you're feeling them for the first time <laughs> yeah. on your feet because you've never felt that before. Yeah. Now you're like, just looking down at your feet, you have some of the widest feet that mm-hmm. I've, that I've ever seen. So yeah, is that, is that something that, did you always have wide feet or did you notice that they, they actually started to, to splay out more and change so over I, time? I noticed or? that I've, I've always had wide feet, never fit into Nike or certain sneakers mm-hmm. to preface that. Like I. I never wore shoes except for sneakers and work boots and mm-hmm. sandals. I never wore, um, you know, a dress shoes or anything like that. That just never interests me. For me, it's about comfort and practicality when it comes to my footwear. Yeah. So then when I, I noticed that I never fit into Nikes, my, I'd always bulge and break out at the side. Yeah. So I'd always You're fit. not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. So I'd, I'd fit into Saucony's decently, you know, moderately, but I'd have to wear them in because my foot's so wide, so I'd have to stretch them out in order yep. and stuff like that. But I did realize that when I started going barefoot more often than not like consciously barefoot is that i had more control over my toes so my feet were always wide initially but now i have more i can actually press the ground with all my toes 
uh, almost individually. And I realized the dexterity of my, of my feet becomes more like your hands in which mm -hmm. you, you have more control over your toes. And that's something I find that the bare feet helped me develop. Although I had wide feet initially and my toes were pretty small initially, it allowed me to uh, gain more control over the actual toes themselves rather than just be able to move your big toe and cool. your other toes uh, all, all together. Yeah, because you miss that in shoes. Like number one, the shoe constricts your foot to the point where you can't even move your toes. Mm -hmm. Two, your feet have, your toes have really nothing to do, right? They can't actually touch these different surfaces. Mm -hmm. And then three, the shoe literally compresses your toes together so that they basically lack movement altogether. Mm -hmm. One thing is, as you started to spend more time barefoot, did you notice the difference in the robustness and like the resilience to texture of your feet? Like, oh, did absolutely. things hurt initially that, you know, how long, do you remember how long it took to kind of adjust? Because I, I found it was super quick. Like, yeah, at the start, I was like, God damn, everything hurts to step on. And then after, I was like, I feel very little now. I found it took maybe because every year because in the winter I wear more I wear more boots right so my feet get softer than yep. and during the summer is when they're the firmest most most res resilient. Yeah, I found it takes about one or two hikes barefoot and then you cool. you start to get that uh, you won't like tiptoe over rocks or gravel you can just start walking on gravel and walking over rocks yep. and it doesn't doesn't impact your foot as much doesn't. Uh... So, so I think let's let's actually veer down that road because I know that you are a big fan of going out on hikes but also going out on longer. Uh, camping trips and mm -hmm. specifically even by yourself and, yeah. and just in nature and um, maybe discuss kind of like what what do you find beneficial about that in terms of both like physical and mental aspects of it and so, let's talk about the like the levels that you went through like the, the first time how did you discover that going out on a solo camp was enjoyable and then talk about some of the because uh, I know you do some some things and go on trips that most people would be like I could never do that and I want to just talk about like what made you want to push yourself to those points and, and what points have you pushed yourself to and what do you get out of those? Mm -hmm. Because I think, so that's a lot of questions, but I, I find it so interesting. So I never, I never, my parents never took me camping or anything like that, but <clears throat> I started to develop a fascination with it when I started reading up on like native cultures and aboriginals and how they lived mm -hmm. and how, uh, what fascinated me about that is how, how apt they were to deal with the environment and then how when i would go out i'd feel cold and i feel i feel weak into the environment so i want to challenge mm -hmm. myself to go out, to go out into the environment and explore so my first camping trip was probably um first year of university i bought all my equipment and i went out by myself for four days and then what i appreciated coming back from that was a you have the physical challenge i, I did that hike i probably did about 20k over four days it's not not too bad um, you had a 35 pound sack on your on your back. Yeah, and it probably wasn't flat ground either. No, no, nothing, so nothing I mean, 20k. Right? You shrug off 20k like it's nothing, but that's that's intense. Yeah, and you're by yourself, right? So you have no one yeah. to pick you up, no one to encourage you. It's simply you and your head and your thoughts, and you have yeah. you have to get there. And then that's it's kind of a the physical challenge is, is fine. Eventually, you, your body kind of shuts up, mm -hmm. just does the work it needs to do. Mm -hmm. Then then from there, it, it comes. Uh, a part of your mind where it's like oh i want to quit or i want to stop and take a break and you have to yeah. tell yourself no no no, we're going to get there we're going to get there and you just keep pushing yourself and that sort of vulnerability of being being exposed in in, in the woods a a to the elements and b to, to yourself which not yeah. many people have exposure to because people are scared of themselves for sure um when you get out there and it's, it's just it's it's liberating it, it develops a degree of confidence in yourself like i can do it there's not there's no nothing that's going to stop me from doing it except what i think in my own head man that would be like Hearing you say that makes me think that when, if you're a uh, physician or if you're a health professional, whatever, you can get some people in and just be like, dude, you need to go on a friggin' hike. You mm -hmm. need to go up for three days. You need to not bring your phone. You need to not bring music. You need to research the basics of how to survive in nature, bring food with you, whatever. Like maybe you don't have to go um, like straight up 
El Natural. But but I think for a lot of people, that would do so much for their mental and physical mental and physical health that that should be almost prescribed. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Well, like, they, that would be so powerful. It's called like forest bathing in uh, in Japan, <laughs> and it actually is. There's like in in Korea, there's there's actually centers that study just exposure to just going outside in nature. Yeah. Wow. I think we're talking about a, a few different things. Like you you can do it on a micro level, like day to day, if you just walk through the woods for an hour, but. Mm-hmm. But there's something to be said about like a longer term. To spend, for a, you. spend a night by yourself, just one night, yeah. like starting. It's like with that. not many people have that experience, and it's super challenging. And more often than not, it's like the first night when I, was, when I did my first hike, I, I cried. Yeah. I started missing people. Like you started appreciating, oh my family, my family, my friends. You started appreciating like the yeah. connection you have with the people around you, your dogs, your cats. Wow, things that you might take for granted you take on granted another all the time, opportunity. Right? Yeah, and then one of the biggest things when you come back and you have a shower. A warm shower, especially when you go winter winter camping. It's yeah, like, you appreciate oh the fuck God. out of that shower. <laughs> how, you've, a, you don't realize how cold you actually were until you come inside. Yeah, because your body temperature drops down and you get to you, you adjust to that. And then it's just the, the you know take it for granted to turn a knob and have hot water be sprayed on you. It's like it's a beautiful yeah, experience. So what uh, other uh, what other camping trips have you done? I know you were out in, in BC a little bit. So yeah, I did pretty... some hiking. That was about three years ago. I did some hiking out in BC. I did a um, a skyline trail in Jasper Park, and it was beautiful. It was. Uh, a four-day hike i think it was about 70 kilometers uh in the rockies so it's interesting because in the valley it was it was late august early september so the valley was warm you know mm-hmm. 15 degrees or whatever but then when you start going up in altitude you literally walk up into the snow because the tree line and then the trees stop because you're above the tree line mm-hmm. and then uh you're walking in, in in the snow and then you walk on the ridges of mountains and you can see the slopes beside you and it was just a spectacular hike wow saw some uh, grizzly bears black bears okay first time you see a grizzly bear what the hell goes through your brain like were you scared were you just appreciative of the environment because i feel like by then you were probably already acclimatized and more humbled in terms of being comfortable in the environment Mm -hmm. but like dude i see a grizzly bear uh I don't know what happens. It's not, it's not the bears that scare me. It's more so the cats, uh, mountain mountain lions and stuff like that. Those are the animals. Because you, you won't bring s- anything for defense? You have to bring bear spray. Yeah. Okay. It's, okay. it's almost mandatory out in BC to have bear wow. spray on you. Uh, when I saw the grizzly, he was quite a ways away. He was, up, okay. uh, he was above me on, on a bank. Cool. So I just yelled, uh, hey, bear. And he just looked at me, sniffed the air, and then he kind of... Wow. Barked, that's, barked, so, barked that's so badass. So... Cool. What was you, what was your time like in because uh, you were saying you went down to South America there so yeah what was that like so the, the the hiking in South America is very challenging because of the altitude so okay. there was one hike I did it was a Coco Canyon and it's a, a one kilometer canyon so you, you hike you go one k down one k up just to mm-hmm. get through the canyon and that was super challenging because you have a shortness of breath the whole time you, it's very hard to recover because of the lack of oxygen in the air so you're at altitude even it doesn't matter what point of that one k up oh down yeah yeah you're at altitude yeah so that was that was cool. one hike I did that by myself and that was I wasn't prepared for that. And that was just like literally one foot in front of the other and just get yourself to the top. And do you do any training for these hikes? Like, do you no. basically, okay. No, so I, you, I mean, you're a pretty physical guy. It's not like you sit at a desk all day and you're like, I'm going to go destroy a 70 K hike, but, but no physical prep. And, and what did you find the biggest thing? It was just, you got out of breath quicker sort of thing. Yeah. You, you fatigue really fast and you have to take more breaks to catch your breath. Um, now huh. uh, in Peru, I also did another hike. It was, um, it was the Inca Trail. It was up okay. to Machu Picchu, and it was a five-day hike in the in the mountains. And the yep. highest we went there was fifty-six hundred meters, and that was like br- brutal. Yeah, that was very intense. Like you, wow. you're not thinking about anything. You're yeah. just like it's all about just get, getting yourself <laughs> up to that top because wow. you have no choice. You're and, and what, uh, what so what that's like food too. Like, do you pack food or I pack do you... food? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's basic stuff like berries, nuts. Um, Stuff like that, cereals, grains, um, nothing. I don't usually bring meat because it spoils and attracts animals. Yeah. What you, um, what you just said was interesting, though, because it's like on those hikes, you can't think about any, you can't think about anything. No. And you were doing that for like 
five days, five right? Five days, yeah. So that's like, would you say it's almost like five days of thinking about minimally pretty, minimal stuff? Pretty much. And like thoughts do occur to you. Like you'll you'll get to the top of the mountain. You'll be like, oh God, I got to go down there now. Yeah. But then you get, start the process of going there and eventually like, oh, I'm here. You know, it's just kind of like, mm-hmm. a, it's weird like that. Would you say that that's kind of one of your forms of meditation, just getting out in nature by yourself? Or, Absolutely. I feel and did very, you, yeah. did you stumble upon that naturally or, or did you like, did you have that in mind going into it or did you just figure that out? On the, I just figured that out. Like hiking on your own kind of gave me that because you have no one to talk to, right? So it's, it's yeah. literally all in your head and it's like the, there's the people outside and there's the person in, inside your head. And then when you're out in the woods by yourself, you're only dealing with that person inside, right? Not, to, you're not having to present yourself in any, any, any fashion because you're in a social setting or anything like that, right? It's literally just you. So and you're vulnerable and exposed. It's be. almost like your, your ego, you can put it at, on hold for a bit because you don't have to appease to the people. Yeah. You don't have to play that role back in society. Yeah. Or you right? just break that ego down. Cause it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how important you are, or what you've done. It's like, all that matters is that you're thinking of how to survive and accomplish this goal that you set out to do. Mm-hmm. so that alone would be like would would put your ego in check big time i think well just kind of i think it just eliminates it right yeah, yeah, pretty much you're not yeah. thinking like it's a very different type of thought out there it's like yeah. when i'm sitting by a rock having my lunch it's like i'm not just like i'm not thinking like about worries or stressors or anything like that yeah. it's, it's super calm super peaceful you start to feel like the rocks and the streams it sounds kind of weird but kind of like your friends mm-hmm. they're kind of like they're, they're one with you like yeah it doesn't sound that weird to me but to the average person i think that they're like nah, what are these guys talking like the, about you, you realize that like the, yeah trees are alive plants are alive but like mountains are alive streams are alive like, mm-hmm. there's, there's this energy that flows through every, like the whole environment and then mm-hmm. it's, it's it's kind of a way of reconnecting with that energy and realizing like th- this is what life is like, like, mm-hmm. all the stuff back home in the human environment is all spectacle and not necessarily yeah. reality but when you go out there that is what's real that is reality is when you're out there you're right there's nothing else to that and we're that. so disconnected from it we like are, it's yeah. a it would yeah i mean just just thinking of what you're saying and like envisioning it as you're saying it it's almost it's almost like it's become this magical world but it's only like that because we're so removed from it mm-hmm. and and i find that like even um you know certain periods that like if you're doing psychedelic substances and you're in nature and you're in your that literally for me brings out that connection to Absolutely. wow that bug that's walking there i can't i um you almost understand its perspective and and the fact that it has consciousness mm-hmm. or that that plant has you know whatever you want to call it an energy a consciousness or whatever a purpose or a meaning or something exactly yeah. and you're yeah. like you have like this different level of respect for the natural environment when you're mm-hmm. forced to interact with it that closely and i think that's very powerful every time like anytime we do psilocybin mushrooms and we're in nature, you come away from that with an extremely different form of respect for just yeah. life. What actually, what shit actually matters? Mm-hmm. What, um, what doing a trip like that does to you mentally, and the fact that you need to prioritize. I need to spend more time not in cell phone concrete land, yeah. and I need to spend more time in like natural areas. Yeah. And I think that even like regardless, it, just nature itself. If you go out in nature, um there's this thing where you, you can like almost look at your, the life that you've made uh, back home almost. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh, like, cause it's rare that we get that outside perspective and we can like look at things yeah. from a big global uh, picture. But when it, when you're out there, you can kind of be the, the observer of it all. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of promotes that. So I think that it, there's little glimpses that we can get only day to day of that. But yeah. I think most people never get that. Yeah, and so then it's like, Oh shit. You have a day, you have two days, you have four days to really like look at the thing that you've created back home and maybe make some changes or adjustments to it yeah. based on things you, you want to, you don't like, or you want to change or you see, um, that are, you know, that are causing, uh, 
mental or physical trouble to yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, just being in nature itself is almost like a psychedelic thing, and, and it kind of helps you kind of reframe reality. A yeah, little it's bit. Part, part of my worldview world view gives me the impression too. When I go out, go hiking, I, it feels like I'm going home. It, it, it sounds odd, but it's like when I'm there and I'm just like, you know, one one time I was hiking, I was just eating some cashews. I look across, a deer is over there eating its lunch too, and just like mm-hmm. I had a connection with the deer. Mm-hmm. We saw each other. He didn't really care that much. We were separated by a body of water, and we just, you know, enjoyed the space. Like, what you know, it's, it was nothing nothing more to it. it was just very, sure. very peaceful. To, to that deer, you're another animal. Exactly. You're another animal surviving and just wandering about. You know, how much that deer actually thinks of, who the hell knows. But but it, it's to see that mirror perspective of, like, okay, that deer sees me. He's not threatened. I'm not mm-hmm. doing anything threatening. And all he sees is the same thing I see him doing. It's like, we're just existing yeah um that's what i find beautiful about it too is animal like, you realize like some people with depression and stuff like that like, oh i'm nothing i don't have any value it's like okay go approach a bear go yeah. approach a deer he knows right away that you're something you have yeah. you have that value right yeah. that meaning he, he recognizes that yeah. and that's kind of a way of like reinforcing that is that like yeah i may sometimes have bad days or you're depressed or you, you feel like there's no meaning or you're, you don't you don't have any value or anything like yeah. that but go out to the woods and things recognize you like you you, yeah. you exist you're there like you're not just some shadow and let's be clear that everyone has those days okay oh, like absolutely. people that are i think it's easy for people that are anxious or depressed or, or have those terrible days where they they're not acknowledged or, or certain triggers set them off they assume that they're the only ones that feel like that i have days like that we all have days like that is how you manage it and and i think like just going out to where you disconnect from all the things that can make you feel shitty when you look on instagram you see 10 people that look like you have the best life in the world mm-hmm. you don't see the shittiness of their life because it's yeah. not on there so it can really put like a this crazy standard to where you're like oh my god i'm worthless i my life doesn't look like that yeah, yeah. and when you go in nature that disappears and yeah. there's something to be said about I think driving your driving positive psychology from the the animal part of you upwards, yeah. um, as opposed to the like the highest conscious part downwards, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are like trying to think themselves into a happy state, yeah. but if you can put yourselves into a better state by using your body or putting it into the the environment, right? Because we had, we've had conversations about that before. It's mm-hmm. like, and that's a like that's a deep long-standing um, known known fact that if you connect with your body and who who was the philosopher you were talking about that was very adamant about actually getting people to connect with their bodies because that drives a healthy it mind was the greek there. the greek perspective in general the ancient greek philosophy in general they started you know they, they had a regimented uh, you know educational program and it started off with gymnastics gymnastics were the fundament the fundamental aspects of one education because you could de- you determine a mastery of the body and when you have mastery of the body you can master the mind if that happens vice versa then you're actually doing yourself a disservice well what did Which, gymnastics mean what did you say the meaning of gymnastics it's like was? naked naked exercise like gymno means naked so it's like okay. a, a naked activity and they used to perform gymnastics naked in, cool. in ancient greece and that's kind of um you know the scholarly class or like the 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 high class when they were being educated that's how they would start is with wow so it was body, body first and then, then you like you the said mind. before it's like Okay, you can learn algebra, but if you have no connection to your body, that is that even purposeful? Whereas yeah. if you develop your body, learning algebra afterwards is not that hard when your body and mind have developed to a point where it's, it's now ready to consume other knowledge exactly. that might not be physical. And it goes back to my, my point there when I said when I'm hiking and sometimes you just it's one foot in front of the other. I can't think about anything else, right? And yeah. that gymnastics and working out kind of gives you that a glimpse of that where it's like if I have to perform some sort of task or physical task, I have to silence the mind. Like, shut up. I'm going mm-hmm. to do it anyways, even though you don't want to, even though I'm not motivated to do so, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And it gives yeah. you that, that connection to kind of 
um, master your body to have control over your body rather than it saying oh I want, i'm hungry or whatever yeah. just kind of pushing so things up to it's your like head. the gateway to your mind right yeah. and that's probably why they were so adamant about it yeah. and it's like once you can show me that you can control this this physical body then we can talk about yeah. learning other things but i think it's just having the priorities in place and a lot of people have that completely flipped on its head where there that disconnect with the body just allow it doesn't allow for the conditions to have a healthy mind yeah right because it's Cause so because in, in order to condition the body you have to condition the mind in some sense too right so you have to have that that um that motivation or that um the ability to focus which mm-hmm. is yes. what you need to condition the mind right which is a mental exercise so once you've mastered the body through exercising a mental focus 100%. when you come to actual uh, you know rational faculties like mathematics and language yeah. and all that stuff it's gonna be much easier for the student because he already knows how to focus his mind well look at society now we're literally training people to be shitty at focusing on things yes. with the constant availability of novelty we're we're literally being trained to not be able to focus on one specific thing mm-hmm. for a fixed period of time right going to any university probably when someone's studying they're reading a book or or i don't know if they're reading a book but the book's in front of them yeah they have their headphones on they're listening to some sort of audio input, maybe music. They have uh, their cell phone in front of them. They're going through Instagram. They cannot focus. The, the like literally being in a room by themselves with nothing would probably freak them out because they've never actually had to do that, and they've almost lost the ability to just shut outside noise out. Mm-hmm. And I think as physical therapists, like that is part of our like the name physical therapy or physiotherapy and why what people think that is is so is so far from what it can and should be, right? Mm-hmm. They think, okay, my shoulder hurts, I go to see a physio. It's like a physical therapist should help you reconnect with what it feels to even understand your body. Your physicality. Your body. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like, that's why we have a freaking float tank in our clinic. It's because taking away exterior sensory input can be in itself physical therapy to reconnect with your mind. Yeah, yeah. With like, That's all you're doing is going in a tank with nothing else around you. And I think that's... that's or any given thing with your body, right? Because yeah. in order to use your body by by it just you have to be using your mind like you say you can't disconnect the two and the better you get at your using your body um that just by um by default almost means that your mind has has done the work to get your body there you're tuning your tuning your mind in the process of tuning your body so so it's like because there's this thing where people don't like to look at like somebody who's very who developed a lot of like physical strength um or physical endurance it's like yeah it's impressive but it's like do you know how strong their minds have to be to get there yeah it's not their bodies that's impressive that is impressive and everyone wants to just look at that oh this mm-hmm. person ran 500 miles in so-and-so days it's like okay cool do you, do you understand their mind like that's what yeah, really interests that's what got me. them there yeah. so right. you're like, what like goes through this person's mind to allow them to, to, to do that feat yeah. because that's not a normal feat right there yeah. so it's like how does this person think and then you kind of go deeper into that and it's mm-hmm. like wow the, you, you probe a little deeper and all of these people have some crazy stuff going on yeah. in their minds to allow them to accomplish good or feats. bad it can yeah. be good or bad yeah you can have demons um, too yeah. who, who, is that, who is that philosopher you were talking about there that, that was on the darker side of things and, and you, you said you were a fan of and Oh, Marquis de Sade? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Marquis de Sade, he's, he was actually, he's writing in the 1700s. Uh, his books are very violent, full of like rape and pedophilia. It's like very disgusting books. Mm-hmm. Um, they were actually banned in France and burnt. And Really? It's very, very interesting biography. How did you come across this guy and, and what makes you, uh, what what makes you find he's uh, like, be interested in, in what this guy so had to say? So, I came across him just out of happen chance and my friend just, uh, my friend read one of his books, 120 Days of Sodom, he's the first book I read of his. Okay. It's about him. It's him and the libertines. They take a, a bunch of people and they go to a chateau and they just like rape and sodomize and it's all this sexual, you know, vagrancy that they perform and all that stuff. And it makes mm-hmm. you realize that like there's 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 um 
it's so complicated because it brings in Nietzsche too. But there's a morality. There's a human. There's an element of morality that makes humans weak. Um, and then Marquis de Sade and, and philosophers like Frederick Nietzsche with the Ubermensch and the Overman and all that stuff. He's kind of challenging morality and says that humans are inherently strong, powerful creatures. Mm -hmm. And we have these social systems that we can impose on ourselves to kind of limit the powerful from overtaking the weak. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that Darwinistic type type thinking. And as an example, I was reading another one is an, a native book, an uh, like article written by a native. And he's talking about how you take a, a domesticated uh, dog and you compare it to a wolf and the difference between the domesticated version and then the wild version. The wild version, almost in every case, is going to be stronger, faster, more apt um, and possess more like self-confidence. Yeah, I'm betting on that wild wolf in a fight any day. Same with like uh, wild goats and sheep and all these animals that we've domesticated. The domesticated version compared to the natural variant. Yeah. The domesticated version is typically of a lesser value or, or you know, whatever, however you measure that value, whether it's strength or uh, hunting ability. or So it's almost right? like when you go on a hike, you're trying to tap into the undomesticated human and, yes. and kind of just see through that lens how it feels. Yeah. So it's like it's, a lot of my readings and the influence of my thinking is kind of trying to tap into that, that undiscovered self, this, this, this nasty beast, which is inherent in all of us and how mm -hmm. if we accept that beast, it's actually beneficial to us to become stronger and more confident individuals. Mm -hmm. So uh, the analogy between like the, the dog and the wolf is that the native mate, he says that humans have become like that too. Humans now are domesticated and we become weak like a dog would be compared to a wolf. Mm -hmm. And if you look at old ancient, uh, you know, older tribes or native tribes, ones that exist and ones that existed in the past, when you look at them, like a, a chief, for instance, they have this like inherent confidence about them, like this, this proudness, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not something we don't find very often in our, in our culture I find today because we're all, impo like, we have all these systems and, you know, yeah. morality kind of, um, we're struggling with, but inherently we should be very proud and confident creatures, like you know, as individuals. But you don't see that very often. That's kind of that's always fascinated me a little bit, which is why I've I the hiking and stuff like that because it kind of develops that. And it's almost like you have to go far out of your way now to to please the beast side of you, mm -hmm. right? And it's also like you you can't you got to realize that it's there. Like you were just saying, mm -hmm. a lot of people maybe it maybe it's this subconscious thing that that scares them. And they've get, they get these little urges in themselves, but they're like, oh, what was that urge? I don't like it. Let's put it to the side. Yeah, yeah. But it's like these urges are very natural, and you need to feed these urges in healthy ways, exactly. like going out in nature or exerting your body or doing uh, strength training or lifting heavy things or just surviving. I think the mm -hmm. biggest thing for you is just go out and try to survive for a few days. Yeah. You're going to see what your beast is like actually meant to do. Yeah. And it's like it's meant to carry some stuff, make fires, make food, yeah, for search for stuff, yeah. workhorses. And it's like, oh, and then like along the way, it's like, this actually makes me feel good, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. That's the weird thing. It's like, why does this make me feel so good when I do this? Yeah. And you have to acknowledge, you have to acknowledge the beast. I think Absolutely. that's like, mm -hmm. right? Like, so what we've done, these cultural norms that we've imposed, it's almost like um, what's normal is very unnatural. Mm -hmm. So, well, shoes are an example of that. What's normal in footwear is so unnatural for humans, it's crazy. It's why we're breaking down. But it's almost like, okay, you have this caged wild beast and we put it in, uh, you, or you have a wild beast and we put it in the cage. And yeah. the cage is society and our norms and cultural things that we just adopt as normal. And you can either, you got two options. Number one, you take the beast for a walk once in a while and you make sure that you're doing it responsibly. So you let it... You know, you let it be in its natural environment and expend some of the energy. And, and it's almost like you're letting, you are the beast that you're letting out, but you're kind of observing it and seeing mm -hmm. how it acts and seeing, okay, I understand that. And then you put it back in the cage. Otherwise, that beast is going to keep biting at the cage and it's going to break out and probably do something really stupid or nasty. Yeah. So it's not suppress the beast. It's okay. I understand that this is part of me. 
now I can understand how to let it kind of do what it's designed to do in a controlled environment where it lets me connect with the beast, but I still try and stay within, you know, this bigger archetype of, okay, don't kill people, don't rape people, but understand that that's part of me. I think that if you just try to simply suppress the beast, it's going to come out, that is going to come out, it's like, it's like, um, you know, a container filled to the brim that's about to ooze out, it's going to come out in different areas, whether you like it or not, Mm -hmm. if you don't acknowledge it, right? It's going to come out, um, you know, maybe that's where all these kind of like, you know, pathological things come from in Fetishes, people's mind. Yeah, um, things is. that were just like, oh, that's coming out in ways. I'm trying to stuff it down further and further. But if you just kind of let it out of the cage um, in, in a controlled doses, like you yeah. say, then you can kind of get yourself back on track. It's like the suppression of it is what creates the perversion of it. Otherwise, the yeah. impulse itself is not perverted. Yeah, that's a beautiful statement. It's, it's like the, it's very your, true. Thought, your, your, your head's your own. You can think whatever you want. It's not. It's not... It's not bad to have certain certain thoughts. It's not mm-hmm. you know. It's to act on them in perverted ways is what is what's bad or socially reprehensible. But yeah, you know, it's like um, Wilhelm Reich. He does a, a study about uh, sexual morality, and he goes to Papua New Guinea and he looks at that old tribe there and how they how they perceive sex and how sex is developed amongst youth and stuff like that. And in our culture today, we tend to think kids aren't sexual. Kids aren't sexual. Mm-hmm. But in the reality of it, kids are very sexual. They're, they're developing and they have those impulses, although they may not identify as being sexual as like an adulthood. Mm-hmm. They're impulses for the kid. So what he studied in Papua New Guinea, he saw that there was a tribe there and there were no, no, the idea of pedophilia was almost non-existent in this tribe. Okay. Okay. And then the, the, way, the way he saw it, the way he understood it is that kids in this culture, five, six, seven years old, were all playing with each other, you know, exploring each other of the opposite sex, same sex, doesn't really matter. And the parents encouraged it, whatever, go ahead and have fun. Mm-hmm. And he, he was thinking that as kids in the Western culture, we're always told, you know, cooties and stay away from each other and don't explore each other and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So then when you get to adolescence or adults, you actually haven't released those impulses that you have as a kid, which are sexual impulses. So you get perverted. And that's when you get the emergence of pedophilia, which is basically an individual who's stuck in that infantile sexual impulse wow. and it has not been able to express it. And then you see pedophilic impulses all over our culture. For instance, um, a shaved, pu- uh, shaved pubic mound on a woman is yeah. a pedophilic impulse. Wow, that's very the, true. The only only people who have no pubic hair are kids, yeah. right? So to, to have that attraction towards a shaved vagina is a pedophilic tendency. Yeah. But now everyone recognizes that, right? Now porn just made that the status quo. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I never thought about it in that respect. So it's like, yeah, and it's so true. It's so frowned upon. It's like... That's what we're... It's like roughhousing as a kid. Exactly. Okay, you have no respect for physical it's contact or violence thing. because it's been suppressed. It's like if you... And clearly, these kids aren't doing messed up things by interacting with each other in a sexual way. Yeah. They're just not being sheltered to the point where things that shouldn't be weird become weird. Mm-hmm. And then... Like yeah. I say, just f- like fighting that ancient... If you look at other species, like so many different mammals have their, their version of roughhousing in play mm-hmm. that involves physicality and... Mm-hmm. and when you, you look learn. at these species, it yeah. looks like they're fighting, but it's not a fight fight. It's a playful fight. It's the yeah. fight that you see between dogs, right? Um, so you'll see this all the time, and, and we think nothing of it, but we suppress that, and we don't allow it, and it's getting worse and worse. But yeah. that shows you not only how to use your physical body, but it just gets these urges out, and it kind of prepares you for, like, here's how I can handle myself. And, like, we have the urge to be very 
physical as well and even stuff like throwing rocks like every time mm-hmm. i go out into the into the forest i'll i'll throw stuff and it's something's very satisfying about that mm-hmm. too because it's like yeah that's a, that's a part of our our history just like hunting and all that kind of stuff yeah and it's very so, important among social animals too it's, it teaches me how to use my body if i'm rough housing with my friend teaches me how to use my body also mm-hmm. teaches me the limits of other bodies too yeah this will hurt this will kill and it yeah. kind of gives me that perspective you know and what's I, too much exactly and right? i witnessed that firsthand so ella and luna so two young dogs that were um in a household that I used to live in, they would play fight. And what you'd see is it would escalate. Like it mm-hmm. would start out pretty like easy and then it would get intense to the point where you're like, I don't know if I should step in. This is getting super intense. And then something would happen where one of the dogs would kind of screech a little bit because they got hurt. Yeah. And instantly the other dog stopped and went over and licked their face. It was yeah, like, yeah. oh, sorry. Okay, we found the limit. Yeah, now yeah. we're going to stay under that. But these dogs that are never allowed to interact with other dogs, those are the dogs at the park that bite another dog. They're not trying to be evil. They just have no understanding of how strong their mouth is or how to interact physically. And you see that too with with humans all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, bringing it back to the sexual side of things, I think people have this weird guilt when it comes to sexuality because it's been suppressed. And they almost think, okay, this is what everyone should act like. I don't feel that way. I've, you know, I feel these urges. I feel this and that. So you feel this guilt even though that's normal. Everyone else is feeling that shit too. Just no one talks about it. So you never realize that's actually what normal is. Mm-hmm. Right? And what we're doing is this very skewed version of of what we, you know, we're trying to like sugarcoat things and try and avoid conversations that need to be had about sexuality or about violence or about harm to other people that aren't being had. And so we have zero education on them. Mm-hmm. And so there's no wonder you see abuse of, of in those realms. Mass confusion. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's like we're all just running around with these, yeah, unmet urges and mm-hmm. and then it just like you say it just creates all these other yeah. offshoot areas so actually one thing i want to talk about just bring it back to the hike part one curious thing when you go on these hikes you go on a four-day hike you discover you know you you interact with your mind in a different way you interact with nature what happens when you come back to normal life like how do you reconcile what you just experienced and then go back into normal life and experience it with the, with joy and not be, you know, depressed that you're like, fuck, I, that was so good. How do I go back to this? Like, how do you, how do you basically take what you learned being out on a four day solar solo hike and implement it in day to day life? So that day to day life is still a fulfilling and happy environment. How do you, do you integrate anything it? there? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very cliche, but it's, it's really small details that I pay attention to. Like, um, waking up in the morning and having a f- breath of fresh, cold, crisp air. Like mm-hmm. this, you focus on small things like that, which are always a, like on a, when you're hiking, that's pretty much what all you're focusing on is like yeah. the, the beauty of, you know, the trees and the blossoms and all that stuff. And then you bring it, when you come back to the city, you kind of try and bring that back too. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, the, it's a little cloudy today, but it's like, oh, it's still a beautiful day. There's still, yeah. there's still aspects okay, of the beautiful. Okay, oh, okay. It's, it's raining today. When you're camping, it doesn't matter if it's raining or not. You're still hiking, right? So it's yeah. like here, I'm not going to, it's not going to prevent me from doing anything because it's raining. Yeah. And it's, you don't dwell on the negatives yeah, that really aren't that bad. It's, in the we- it's weather. I can't control weather. Why am I going to yeah. get upset about weather? It's exactly. something I can't control, right? So I, I'll cool. control my perspective on it. It's still a beautiful day. Yeah, it's raining out, but it's still beautiful. Like It's it's still a part of a climate, which is something worth experiencing. Wow. So, so it's, it's almost like it expanded your horizons. So that a, might, a small thing that might be a negative to the average person that never goes out is no longer even on the radar of negativity because you've experienced this whole different perspective. So interesting. So it actually enhances your experience of day-to-day reality. So I, find, instead I, I find it helped attracting. a lot with the, the winter, for instance, going, out, going outside and do winter activities, go winter mm-hmm. camping and stuff like that. I just, I, I like the winter now. I like the challenge of it, how the vulnerability of it, how, yeah. you know, I realized when I was hiking in the in Jasper, there's a difference between feeling cold and being cold. Yeah. So you're always going to feel cold in the winter. It's just cold outside. But to, right. act, to actually be cold, 
not many of us experience. Yeah. And you I have had, a new threshold on your, on yeah, your continuum exactly. now. Exactly. I had one night in Jasper. I was literally huddled in a, in a ball. It's like shivering, just waiting for the, the sun to break because I, I was not prepared. And I was cold. Wow. And it's like, that is cold. That's not feeling cold. That's being cold. So when I go outside and I feel a little bit of wind on my face, whatever, yeah. it's winter. We talked about that the other day. It's a treat to have people complain about the weather all the time, especially as a physio. Weather always comes up because you're trying to make small talk with someone when you're treating them or whatever. Everyone bitches and moans about the weather. It's yeah, like, I don't get cold that. is a treat. It is a mm-hmm. treat where it's like you have this thing where all you have to do is walk out your front door and you can have an immediate challenge to center yourself. Like you were talking about the other day. You just grab a kettlebell, go out for a walk in the cold. You don't want to do it. It's not mm-hmm. fun, mm-hmm. but you do it because you know that the rewards you're going to get from that, both mentally and physically, are worth the struggle in the short term. And it and feels great. And guess what? I know where my house is. It's 20 minutes exactly. down the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's and like, there's a warm shower in You're there. not going to yeah. perish. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So having that in mind, it's like, yeah, let's do something a little challenging today because, you know what, my safe spot is like is right there. So yeah. It's pretty funny. The first time I go winter camping with my buddy Dan and his two huskies and we uh, we set up camp, dug a, dug a shelter into a snowbank. You sleep in the snowbanks. And then uh, I take my boots off to dry off. I put the boots by the fire. I go inside the shelter to kind of warm up a little bit. I'm like, oh, the fire! The fire's picked up a bunch. I look outside; both our boots are lit on fire. <laughs> so we burned. We burned both our boots to the soul. I had no boot left, <laughs> and we're thankfully we're only like you know 40 minutes away from the car, so it yeah. wasn't wasn't too bad. The first time going out, I went, wow. didn't want to be too. That's uh, a good lesson. Too too far. <laughs> so we had to r- take our clothes off, wrap our feet with all our clothes, and just run back. And that's so cool. <laughs> but it's a lesson to be learned because if you know yeah, if I was kidding. three days into the woods and I burnt my boots, yeah, that's I'm kind of screwed. Like, yeah, that's it, a good time. That's that an emergency, lesson. you know. So I'm sure the dynamic of having canines there was probably super cool too like yeah. i always think of this whenever we are out like on a lustful hike i'm like i would love to go on a hike and and like an overnight hike with memphis because having a dog there that can sense um threats in the environment like mm-hmm. reading off the dog's body language of how they interact in like a natural environment to both threats or just how they react and and just having the safety of i have a beast that is friends with me mm-hmm. that can take on anything um that can keep me warm you know yeah. like uh, that would be uh i think that'd be a really cool experience to go with dogs. yeah because the first time the first night i spent out in the woods by myself you i was scared scared shitless actually yeah. because you hear so many noises in the woods what's that what's this what's that what's this and you can't sleep because you're all worried about a bear creeping up on you and stuff like that then you're, you're just, hearing probably tunes in so hardcore too you hear everything right because wow. it's, it's nothing in the winter you can hear the snow fall on on, on the ground it's so quiet yeah. the winter what i appreciate about the winter is the quietness People don't realize that when you go to the woods and you spend a night in the woods in the winter, it is quiet. Yeah, nothing to be heard. You realize all the other animals are taking shelter too. Exactly. In the summer, you hear chirps and crickets and yeah. frogs and all this stuff, right? But in the, in the winter, it's nothing, and that's you know, it's it's humbling. It's like, oh, yeah, it's oh my almost, god, it's a beautiful. thing. How often you do you hear silence? You know, yeah. but yeah, you freak yourself out. What's this? What's that? And then eventually, you have to calm yourself down. Like you know what? Like if a bear comes in the camp, a bear comes in the camp, I'm going to yeah. have to deal with it then, right? I'm not going to figure exactly. myself out until that happens. So, And it's not creating negative things. People have a bad habit of doing that. They think worst case scenario. They yeah. think about negative things before they even friggin' happen. Well, that's almost, that's interesting that you say that because that's almost like a snapshot of what happens to us in modern society too. Instead, You're saying in order to deal with being alone in nature there Mm -hmm. you had to shut your mind up and say okay let's just deal with the present moment and be like okay whatever happens to come if there's an obstacle that comes then i'm going to deal with it when that obstacle comes yeah and and you're like until then you were so preoccupied preoccupied with your thoughts now if you bring that back into like modern society 
people have trouble being in that present moment and they're, they're thinking about, so the, the bear and all these things that you were thinking about, that's in the form of like their bills and there are all these other problems, but that takes them away from like, Hey, I should be just right and doing what's in front of me right now. And whatever happens to come along this way, then I'll deal with it then. And that's how I get through the whole thing or else my mind's going to be in this. It's it's one thing to plan where it's like for the bear, for instance, okay, I have have a knife and I whistle in my tent. Okay. Bear Mm -hmm. comes, Mm -hmm. I'll, 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 wail my whistle and try and scare yeah. him away right? I, have a, I have a plan yeah but then just You're psych, psych myself out until that i have to implement that plan it's a waste no, of, it's a waste of energy exactly that's almost right? like a stoic you know yeah. piece of stoic philosophy there there's there's no point in overthinking something that you can't control. can't change or control yeah yeah um so maybe that's a good you know thing to get into now and just kind of delve into some of your some of the popular thinkers that you that you enjoy mm-hmm. reading or that you've studied over time um, do you remember how talk you about got that. into like when or how or what made you get into looking into because i mean the average person you say nietzsche they're like what the what the hell's a nietzsche yeah, yeah. you know they, they just uh, it's, it's not something they were ever exposed to i know that i started learning about stoic stuff um through a podcast and then you bought the daily daily stoic you're like that's yeah, a good read and then that made me go down a rabbit hole to where like now i try and read on a daily basis, something that, that, you know, whether it's, uh, Marcus Aurelius's meditation or the mm-hmm. emperor's, um, meditations or, or whatever, different versions, different variations of a book that, that just kind of shows you like, that's so powerful. That's been hugely powerful for me, both from like, whether it be an ego point of view or a, just understand what you can and can't change and don't dwell on things that you can't change, whatever it is. How did you start to kind of go down that path and, and, um, and, and then talk about like the most influential people that you like to follow. You already talked about, uh, what was that guy's name? The, Marquis the, de Sade. Marquis de Sade. And then the, <laughs> some other guys like Nietzsche and, and how did you get into that? Who have been the biggest influences and what are the biggest takeaways that you've gotten from that? So probably about grade seven and eight, I started reading a lot of science books. So like quantum physics, um, you know, astro, astrobiology and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Right. And then I found, just interested you. Just interested me. Yeah. Um, and then I found that I didn't really give me a, a meaningful perspective on my own life. Like it mm-hmm. gave me a perspective on the world and the universe and how it functions. And but it's very abstract. That kind, very, of stuff. kind of very abstract. Right. And it left me kind of with a, vo- with a void, with an existential void, which every adolescent goes through. But, mm-hmm. and then I switched over to philosophy. Just, uh, I've had a, I've had a book called The Human Touch by Michael Frayn, and that kind of really sparked um, mm-hmm. an interest in philosophy. And then from that, I decided to go to university in philosophy. But it was just mainly um, finding perspective and finding value, which I think everyone goes through. That's very much a part mm-hmm. of growing up is finding, mm-hmm. finding value and significance. I think most people, it's a continuous journey. They're still doing that. Yeah, exactly. So and then it got me into, uh, into philosophy, and then from philosophy, it branched out. You know, I started studying Buddhism and religion and theology and stuff like that. And it kind of – you start seeing this overarching issue in which um, – the problems that we face today as like humans in, in terms of finding meaning and significance, humans have faced that throughout their whole, all of our, all of our existence pretty much. And if you go back to the, 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 the pre-Socratics and Plato and Aristotle and Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics, the Epicureans and all, all those ancient schools of thought, you realize that we have, we have answers to these questions and they've been developed thousands of years ago, but somehow yeah, they've been cultivated just cult- already. Oh yeah. Like we've, we've answered these questions, but yeah. now in today's day, we don't tend to have those answers available to us. We still, yeah. we're still struggling. Right. And that, that, that's what kind of drew me into it. It's like, wait, our ancestors thought about this and they had an answer to this. Then why are we still struggling with this today? Mm-hmm. And that kind of brought me into the history of philosophy. And what I like about philosophy in particular is that you can see an overarching, like, you know, unity of thought and how things evolve from Plato to Aristotle to, to um, Marcus Aurelius, for instance, you can kind of see the connections and where they give and take from each other and how they mm-hmm. develop certain lifestyles. Because back in the day, there's a, a book I read by Pierre Hadot. It's um, What is Ancient Philosophy? 
And you're basically arguing that philosophy back in the day is a way of life. It's not some topic about what it means to know something or what it mm-hmm. what, is, does life have value. These certain stereotypical philosophical questions you see is very much a contemporary take on philosophy. But back then, during Plato's time and Aristotle's time, philosophy was very much a way of life. It was mm-hmm. a commitment to wisdom. Right? It was a love for knowledge, which is what philosophy means. Philos means love. Sophia means knowledge or wisdom. Sorry. So mm-hmm. to be a philosopher is to love wisdom. Wow. And it was a pra- cool. it was a practice in approaching that that wisdom. Yeah, it's not someone. It's not something you say. Oh, I'm I'm full philosophical or I'm a stoic. It's like people know it by how you act. Like you exactly. have to live it. It's not it's not a, a trophy or a medal. It's yeah. like a daily thing to implement in your life and to structure your it's life. Not, around. It's not an answer to a question. It's yeah. the ability to structure questions that can develop meaningful answers. Yeah, that, that's what a philosophy is. It's yeah. not. I know the answer to the meaning of life. I don't know the answer, but I can yeah. ask pertinent questions that can give me meaningful answers. And it's yeah. dynamic too. It changes. Absolutely. Right? It's like you're, who you are now and the way you think about things, the way you think about reality or happiness, whatever it might be. The more information you get, the better you can either confirm or challenge the way you're thinking about mm-hmm. things. And I think you have some of those moments that are like almost earth shattering where you read something you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. This just like completely changed the schema of how I think of life in a good way. At the at the time, it's like, holy shit, this sucks. But it's like, OK, now I have a bit of a different path to kind of go down. That's why I like Nietzsche because Nietzsche is very challenging like that. And w- yeah. would you say – actually, let's dive into Nietzsche in a sec. But like, <laughs> would, you, would you say that uh, philosophy is at the root of – Critical thinking. Absolutely. It's, it's the mother of all knowledge. Absolutely. Okay. Without doubt. Yeah. Because it's, I think that's a missing element because we're so quick to go to like science, like you say, mm-hmm. and it's like we worship science now, but we're we're missing the underlying building blocks of that, which is like, how do you think about things? Um, and can, can you structure good questions? And like, yeah. um, what's your rational thinking capabilities? Well, I like? find it fascinating because every every topic you study in university, archaeology, uh, astronomy, you can add the word philosophy of in front of and you get into a, a philosophical discussion, right? PhD stands for a doctorate in philosophy in the topic you're in. So like, that's that. the way we distinguish the highest echelon of, of mm-hmm. academia is by calling him a philosopher, uh, you know, PhD in uh, medicine. He's a doctor in philosophy of medicine. That, that's the way it's structured, right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because you can take all any topic, like science, for instance, the philosophy of science. Okay, how do we structure our, our models? How do we understand whether our models actually do reflect a reality? And like, these are such exactly. questions that science doesn't necessarily have to deal with mm-hmm. but philosophers can deal with to see the value of, of science is science actually accurate in depicting the world that may be something we'd never be able to answer you know mm-hmm. so in terms of uh, nietzsche what do you what do you find interesting about so him? i like how aggressive he is and how in your face he is i actually lost sleep reading nietzsche because he's very powerful like that and um he, he's very he attacks the christian um christian morality and the christian faith very 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 strongly and it basically comes down to uh, pity and how pity is very destructive to have as a to have pity for someone is actually very bad for you to do. For hmm. instance, you walk by a homeless man in the street, you say, oh, I pity him or, you know, um, I feel I feel sorry for him. Mm-hmm. What you're actually saying is, thank God I'm not him. Right. Yeah. So you're, 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 you're shrouding uh, this bestial part of ourselves, which is like I'm, I'm better than him. Uh, mm-hmm. You're shrouding it with this notion of pity and making it seem. Uh, it's like mercy. It's like this idea of mercy. It's Nietzsche is very challenging because he writes in aphorisms. He doesn't write in um, actual text, mm-hmm. and you have to kind of like um, decipher his aphorisms. God damn, I gotta read Nietzsche. But read his Thus Spoke Zarathustra, and it's like a very it's it's a book, um, but it's very much it's it's very interesting. It sounds like it's something that you gotta like d- take time to like digest each sentence almost, and Absolutely. trying to piece that into. How does this even fit into my reality? Yeah. And, and what is he trying to say here? Because it's probably like a Rorschach almost. It's like that's going to rub off. Your interpretation of that is going to be based on your life experience and the way you think about life right now. Mm-hmm. And obviously that will be dynamic and change. But it's like 
I almost feel like if if I read it, I'm gonna I'm gonna get one percent of it at the start, yeah, or be able to place one percent of it, and then that might change a little bit of the way you're thinking. And the next time you read it, you get like five percent of it. Nietzsche is one of those books that you can read. You'll get maybe one percent, two percent out of it. Yeah, you'll read another book and be like, oh, oh wait, that makes sense. You go back to Nietzsche, it reads it again. Oh my God, that's what he's talking about. You kind of fill it in hmm. as you continue to educate yourself, right? Cool. The self education is very much important yeah. when it comes to philosophy. But what I like about Nietzsche is basically what it comes down to is that um, humans are weak because we have moralities and then we struck we subject ourselves to these notions of good and evil and nietzsche is basically challenging us to, to shatter those values and say there's no such thing as good and evil that's actually just a human notion yeah all there is is, is human beings which is the ubermensch the overman one who overcomes himself i'm not human i am i i am it's like to be human is to, to limit yourself to certain characteristics and traits. Hmm. And he says that's the weakness of human beings is that we have to actually eliminate this notion that I am man and mm-hmm. just be a beast pretty much, right? It's like our obsession with structure, our obsession with understanding whether that, you know, whether it's death or, or and, and finding some way to compartmentalize and feel comfortable that you're like, okay, I understand death mm-hmm. or, or, or else you're scared of it, yeah. right? It's like to get rid of the fear of the fact that you're a beast, you call yourself a man. And then you're like, okay, I, I have structure. I can put what I am into a container. I know what it is. Mm-hmm. And when something shatters that container, you're like, holy shit. It's okay. like it's like the little thought experiments I do to myself. It's like you see a serial, serial killer uh, on the news or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not that. Mm-hmm. But no, I see myself in that guy. That, mm-hmm. that That's me. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I haven't killed anyone. But he's still a human being and he has yeah. subject to the same impulses and faculties as I am myself. And if you were exposed to what he was exposed to his whole life. It could have been him. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I think that's one thing that I've changed a little bit lately is like even um, even that the homeless thing that you're talking about. Trying not to like judge. Trying not to judge but also just acknowledging like man that guy's probably had a really bad roll of the dice and if i had that same role i would probably be there yeah. maybe i'd be dead maybe i would like yeah, yeah. who knows or even and, the, and, i hate to bring it up but the, the nazism it's like oh I would, like how could the nazis do that to the jews it's like well yeah. if you were in that position as a human being you probably more likely than not you would have done the same thing exactly right to think yourself as being better than that mm-hmm. is a psychological error yeah it's not true it's you, to give yourself closure it's like it's to, it's it's to, to make yourself a man a human yeah. right which is yeah. it's very just the challenge and it's all based on these decisions we just make over time. Because yeah, if you just make a series of different decisions, you're gonna be a, a diff- you're gonna be a different person. The person that you create is gonna be different over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's like it's up to you to just make sure that that person is going on the right path yeah. um, along the way. Yeah. So I don't know if he if he touches on that at all too. Like he's just Nietzsche's all over the place. He's very difficult to read. No, exactly. He's super yeah, difficult. I'm getting it on that. We'll do another podcast in a year from now. I'm going to read some Nietzsche <laughs> and we'll see, see if I can contribute <laughs> to this conversation a little bit more because it is, I mean, for, probably for the, you know, the average person, it's not even something of interest, but I, I think your your mind is as deep as you want to explore it sort mm-hmm. of thing. And I think it's always good to have like, know where the fringe is and always be like, okay, I want to, I want to go beyond the fringe. So, yeah. So it's basically <laughs> Nietzsche would say that we're as human beings, as a human being, we're walking over a tightrope over an abyss. We look down, it's, we're fearful of the abyss of the meaninglessness, right? Of, of our lives. Mm-hmm. Nietzsche is encouraging us to rather than look down the abyss, or even try and cross the abyss, just go over the abyss, screw the abyss. Don't walk that tightrope, which is the morality between good. Am I a good person? Am I a bad mm-hmm. person? Don't worry about that. Don't get distracted by so it. Just go for it. Right? Yeah. And that, that is what gives you the strength to do good things. Uh, ultimately mm-hmm. it's not, not this fear of, you know, Oh, am I perverted? Or, or is this a nasty, thought is something am i doing something bad yeah just just perform your your actions and then that will you know elevate you above that meaninglessness which we all encounter in our lives yeah i Very think even one thing like aubrey i think aubrey talked about this one time he's like if you were telling a story 
to someone about your life? Would you be proud to tell it? Would you be proud to say that that story was actually about you? And and the things that you wouldn't be proud to tell someone, maybe those are things that you need to change in terms of the way you act or the way you think about things. Mm -hmm. And it's so true. It's like on one side, it's you shouldn't be basing whether or not you have a good life on someone else's perceived judgment of that life. But I think what you're perceiving of them as of judging of you is really what you think. It's just, you're almost like mirroring that on yeah. what you would think of someone else. So, yeah. It's hard what, to be, it's hard to be honest with yourself. That's for sure. Man, it is. It's very hard. It's, it's like, as soon as you think you're honest, you learn something else. You're like, I've been lying to myself yeah. a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I, now I actually know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are, what are the things like, what keeps you going and happy and gives you purpose now? Right. Because like, I find it funny how people say, Oh, what do you do for work? And they think that that's what gives you purpose. Mm-hmm. It's like, Maybe, you know, I almost see people's work now as like an activity they do that they do for a reason. That reason might literally be because that is a means that I use to achieve whatever monetary communication we use Mm -hmm. to be able to buy food to feed yourself, right? You no longer have to go home. Work now ultimately has come down to an instrument. It's instrumental in our lives, right? As opposed to work, like, you know, chopping wood and, uh, you know, hunting is... uh, is uh, an intrinsic work. It's, it's yeah. it has a value in of itself. It's exactly. not used for anything else. Right. It's almost like it's a removed. Um, it's like just like hunting would get you food. Now you work to get money to get food. It's yeah. just like a segue. Yeah. But but it doesn't define what you what you want to do. Why you why you wake up every morning and don't just call quits. You know mm-hmm. like what? That's a very convoluted question. But like what gives you purpose? What if someone said what gives you purpose in life? What would you say in like five sentences? Like curiosity, I okay, think. Okay. I think that's that, a good one. This goes back to um, what philosophy is and how philosophy is a way of life. A philosopher, as Plato would describe it, is like a baby. He's curious, and like you look okay. at a child, look at the world. Everything's just so marvelous to him because he's experiencing it for the first time. And yeah, it, right. So the idea is to try to experience every day as a new experience, and like mm-hmm. to, to explore that curiosity, and, and then use your faculties to to strive towards it. Hmm. Um, to satisfy in the curiosity, which yeah, I think curiosity. ultimately will never be satisfied. I think once yeah. you don't have any curiosity, I think that's when you start dying. And yeah. we take so many things for granted too, is because if you just notice, notice little things, it's like, wow, that, that animal mm-hmm. is acting that way that I saw, or, um, even just like little things that you, you pick up and the average person wouldn't even pay attention mm-hmm. to them. Um, or they would show no interest in them because they're, they're concerned with all these, yeah. all the, the morality, like you're saying, but it's like, oh, cool that exists like that's that's good to note yeah. and if you're just curious about like how the world works over time you can find uh interest in so many different areas and, mm-hmm. and it can kind of like sp- spark that curiosity and kind of that's that fire that gets you going every yeah, day yeah well it's kind of like for plato's cave when he has an analogy of the cave which kind of underlies like the, the philosophical life and like the way the philosopher should you know develop and emerge and the way it's structured is that you start off in a cave and then behind you is a, is a fire. And then you're looking on the wall and you see all these shadows on the wall. And then as you start developing and educating yourself, you realize that, wait, there may be something behind these shadows that's casting the shadow, right? So that is more real than the shadows themselves. So you, you turn around and you see the people casting the shadows walking around. It's a very, very rough way of putting his, um, his allegory. But then eventually you, you come out of the cave and you actually reach the sunlight and you realize that everything in the cave was kind of an illusion. So philosophy starts off as kind of a disillusionment is that, you know, everything that we're experiencing on a day-to-day basis may not be as it seems. Mm-hmm. And then from that understanding, that first principle, there's a curiosity to uncover what actually is casting those shadows. Hmm. What is the substance that is giving, you know, rise to the world and to ourselves? And that's kind of what com- propels the philosopher on his journey to self-discovery. Wow. It's... yeah. Like you just made a very complex 
premise very simple and understandable. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's one of the values of philosophy, yeah. There you go. I didn't know you did your... Because uh, what... Is it a four-year undergrad in philosophy? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I didn't know you did that. That's... Uh, now I understand how you're you're so knowledgeable on this. Thing. Well, it's just interesting because I, I remember I told my grandma my um, from my dad's side. She's like, "Well, what do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, what are you going to school for?" So and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to philosophy." And her first response is, "Oh, there's no money in that." Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, you want to debate that because I'll ha- I'll have the skills to debate." But that that yeah. the value in philosophy is not a career or anything like that. It's it's yeah. a, it's a certain mode and way of life that allows you to engage with ideas yeah. in certain yes. fashions, right? So I can I can argue for something I don't I inherently disagree with, yeah. But I can still purport it, argue it, yeah. right, and conclude with it because you can see the other person. I can see the perspective, right? Wow. I can I can see how the, the how the arguments and premises come together and how they you know correspond or how they man. Everyone should before you even Ooh. do your freaking undergrad, you should everyone should be forced to do a year of philosophy. I think philosophy should be oh, one of the yeah. first things you're learning in school. Yeah, because yeah. it it literally is just develop it it's sharpening your mind to give you the tools to be able to actually consume whatever knowledge you think yeah. at that time you want to to look at but it's almost like this baseline tool that if you're missing that tool all the other shit you learn doesn't is never able to reach the potential of, of well, you how can, well you can you can have the, you can have the knowledge but the ultimate form of like human faculty is the synthesis of, of taking all these things and synthesizing them together into worldviews or perspectives mm-hmm. that are interesting and unique and novel right and and evaluating them people and, just yeah. take shit at face value now it's like oh i saw a thing on facebook where it said this vitamin's bad for you so clearly it's bad for you it's yeah. like, well you did lazy just, thinking right lazy it, thinking. There's, no there's critical no evaluation put into no curiosity like, i think that's a big thing it's like people almost lack that curiosity to even not not only do they not even have the tools to understand how to look into something they don't even know it's mm-hmm. it's possible to look into something further than just a blank statement that was told to you so i find it fascinating because part of my exercises in philosophy i took some critical thinking courses and logic courses stuff like that you you take a book like descartes for instance you'd read descartes and then you, your exercise your assignment would be boil his argument down to 150 characters Wow. Right, so you have to take this complex argument that has multiple down to a Twitter sentence, yeah, <laughs> multiple facets, and you have to, and yeah. it has to be, it has to be correct. It has to be cohesive and logical, yeah. and, and and sound, and all these you know logical terms. But this is it's fascinating how you 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 start boiling all the all, all the bullshit away, yeah, and you get to the underlying kernel of the argument, and that's kind of what philosophy is the exercise in, right? Is you say all this stuff and you can boil it down to its its essence and talk about the essence, yeah, and get rid of all the uh, the chaff, right? Wow, and I find so it interesting because it, then it helps you, like you say. You can you can be better at seeing somebody else's like if you're interacting with somebody day to day, you have a better idea of like looking at like oh where how have they got to this point where mm-hmm. they're they're thinking about this this thing this way yeah so it's kind of cool you can break it down and that helps you in the world like you say yeah. it helps you with every single thing every Absolutely. interaction that you have that's there for you whereas if you learn something more specific in school you don't have those those fundamental so it's like baselines. if I encounter an idea that's contrary to my own it's not like oh. Like I, I don't, I don't um, confront it or conflict it. It's like, oh, that's interesting. How'd you come to that? Mm-hmm. Explain that to me. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I want, I want to be able to understand it the way you understand. Yeah, it. and that's because curiosity. Maybe I'll think that way too if I understand it the way you do. Exactly. But that's curiosity in and of itself. Yeah. It's like, how are you thinking? Yeah. Like, how are you thinking? And how are you thinking? Like mm-hmm. all these and everyone's. How did you come to these conclusions? And a lot of people, it's just that fascinates me too. I mm-hmm. think that you saying that is just like because people have all these thoughts, and it's like I don't even know, think they know where they came to these thoughts mm-hmm. but that it's just like a never-ending source yeah. of curiosity is yeah. is to analyze how people are actually looking at the world yeah. and, like, and comparing it to how you look at the world you're like oh cool i see what you're doing there i think about it this way but I, at least i see what you're doing there yeah yeah and maybe like would you agree that, uh, of this too and, yeah, yeah. and i think when people are both open to that when you have good thinkers who get 
together. I think that's that's really key because you can kind of change your views of the world based on other people's views mm-hmm. um, and maybe make it fit your model a little bit better too. Yeah. Um, so, but it, like the key there is like ha- open mindedness and like um, a-, a quest for a willingness to engage. A willingness to engage exactly. Because right. if you if you just say, oh, that guy, like for instance, if I identify. A- as an atheist, like as a theist, oh, you know, he's irrational. And you start yeah. attributing all these things to him. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, there's, there's value in theology. There's value yeah. in religion. Let's, let's, let's pinpoint why he's like this. Exactly. Like you said, distill out what is the first point of separation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're seeing each other 100 kilometers apart. But if we both start at the same point, what was the first point where we veered along different paths? And what is the premise that led us? Why did we choose that path? Yeah. Because I, I think that's part of, this is a big lacking uh, big underlying lack of philosophical understanding of just um critical thinking or or trying to see the other person's perspective this is a big reason why people suck in debates and having conversations and why mm-hmm. we start to get so tribal it's like we're not even trying to find agreement we're not even being curious of why they've created that yeah. perspective we're just like you're a i'm b i'm on b side i gotta defend b side to the death even yeah, yeah. if it even if i care a lot even if if your a side might have a lot of value for me to understand it maybe i don't agree with it but i should damn well try and at least understand it so i can make a good judgment and just res- respect you as a human with an opinion that might be different than mine yeah i think that's getting worse too um, particularly in religion and politics it's yeah. awful in, the, in those two categories yeah. and i think the, the one of the big reasons is now we have an outlet like via the internet to like find the people who think the same as you yeah and then like like you say like tribe together so it's like now we're not just us against it it's like if you just met a person on the street and you started having a conversation i'm sure it would be a lot different than if you're you're debating that same person's group with your group yeah, via social media yeah, well, group psychology so, is much different than individual exactly. psychology. Right? you try and be reasonable with a group it's probably not going to work try and be reasonable with an individual of that group you yeah. could probably have a decent discussion right the group, group psychology is much different than individual psychology and today because of our, our environment and the sheer number of people and the way we organize our people the people in our society through technological means like cell phones and all that stuff it just we, we don't get those individual um discussions anymore there's contact between individuals there's always contact between groups and that's very true the tyranny yeah. and the, the, the mobs and all that stuff right yeah probably a good place to maybe finish off is what level of involvement with technology have you found to be a, a good one at this point in time like um you know, if we weren't, I really think that if we weren't involved with social media as a means to spreading whatever message we're trying to spread or or, or um, engage in commerce with people, like people only find out about seminars and get in touch through Instagram, right? So it's not an option to not use it. But I think if that wasn't the case, I don't know if I'd be using it. I think I would, like I don't use Facebook. Uh, I, I think there's a happy medium where you can consume some technology but when you go past the threshold it actually starts to become very negative for you and and like one thing you feel it with is like okay if you don't bring your phone for a day or you go on a hike i feel way better mm-hmm. I, whether i want to admit that or not i feel way better i feel more tuned to having more direction in life and having like just a better sense of happiness so what's how much uh, technology do you use and, and have you what's found... your framework too for for how you use it what yeah. framework do you, do you I, use have? It, I use it mainly just to keep keep in contact with people i okay. do go on the youtube binges and stuff like that occasionally yes uh, everyone does but uh, yeah. more so for me it's um I have this weird perspective on technology where it's like a necessary evil. It's like yeah. you, you can't really function without it. Exactly. And, and if you choose to completely denounce it, it's like you put yourself at a disservice. Yeah. So for me, it's mainly um, to keep in mind that online, particularly you know the online world, is that it's very much a spectacle. It's not reality. And then mm-hmm. yeah. 
this guy, guy Dubard writes a book about it and it's called the society of the spectacle in which we now live in a culture in which <clears throat> the image precedes the reality. So, uh, matrix kind of deals with this topic and it's like, what came, what comes first, the territory or the map? So back in the day, traditionally you'd have guys explore territory and from that territory, they'd create a map. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of being inverted in which the map comes before the territory. So people have this image of what something should be and okay. then they, then they shape the world to fit that sort of image. Very it's true. kind of a, rever- a reverse relationship in which we have a spectacle, which is what you see on Facebook with all these, you know, all these ads about uh, things that, you know, correspond to your personality and stuff like that. And you start imposing that on the world and thinking that that is the actual reality of the world. I and mean, actually, the reality is the streams and the forests and all That's that stuff. That's a very good way of putting stuff, it. Right? So we live in a very anthropocentric world in which we, there's, there's a natural world and the human world. They don't necessarily have to clash. But I think now and today, because of technology, mm-hmm. at an ever ra- rapid rate, they're becoming more and more associated in which the spe- spectacle is taking on reality for the human being as opposed to the actual reality. So we live in a, live in a world of images. So yeah. I think technology is not necessarily inherently bad, but if it gets to the point in which you, you can no longer kind of appreciate the reality of things and you, yeah. you're living in the world of... If of, it gets of, blurry. If you're living in the world of the spectacle and of, yeah. the, of the image, I think that's when it starts doing a disservice to, to human beings. And I think it's hard to be mentally healthy living in the world of the spectacle. It's mm-hmm. like yeah. you almost always need this constant anchor to bringing you to what reality is right mm-hmm. if you peeling all the layers yeah. off go into nature for a day or push yourself physically use your physical body that's exactly. that anchor right that's yeah. your anchor because yeah. it doesn't lie and which goes like back always to there which goes for a circle back to the bare feet literally touch the earth yeah yeah like yeah. don't <laughs> that's yeah. A good way to it's up. really grounded like it's it's you're right that's part of the spectrum for me I'm, I'm literally touching like my toes are like roots yeah, right. the I'm, earth. I'm, I'm growing like I'm part of that earth. You know, and it's and it feels like it, good. It, it feels, feels great great, yeah. to do it, right? It's, yeah. uh, it's almost, it almost has its own meaning. It feels like you belong. Yeah, yeah, right. As opposed to having this disconnect between your environment, I belong in the environment. That's basically what it comes down to. Very cool. Well, thanks, thanks for doing this, Danny. We appreciate it. Not a problem. Like it's, it's almost like. I think without these mics here, the goal is to have conversations that you would have if the mics weren't here. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like if we went out to dinner, we probably would have said exactly what we just Pretty said. Much, I think yeah. that's that's almost hard to do, right? Because this big black thing or this big piece of technology <laughs> uh, staring at you in the face, so it's hard to not acknowledge it. But I think uh, let's do this again in a year, and I, Absolutely. I think it might be it might go down a different path. And I think. Um, yeah, I think it would be a, a lot of fun and it was a good conversation. So we mm-hmm. appreciate it. I look man. forward to it. Thanks for having me. Anyway, awesome. hope you guys enjoyed that conversation and it shed a little bit of light on maybe some things that um, you find interesting or are curious about. So we'll catch you guys later.